So thank you uh, to, to Holly and to Sherry for teaching last Sunday. I was ill. And for those of you who've asked, I'm about 75% back. So I'll be 100% Christmas Eve. But thank you all for doing that. I, um, <clears throat> you doing okay? You're well. Okay. So hello to the pajama people, the wine and cheese people. I was one of you last week. And I tell you, um, it's seamless. It's flawless. Have you ever done it? Uh, thank you, Tim, and, and Richard Wingfield, who's really the kind of the father of all this. Olivia and William, thank you very much for making this a possibility. I said to Sherry, after watching the class and then uh, going to big church on the big monitor, why does anybody ever go in person? <laughs> And, of course, she said with the wisdom that she has, then I don't, because you'd miss the personal contact. You'd miss, you know, being judgmental about the people sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> huh? And the sacred cookies. And you'd miss the sacred cookies. And you, really, you would miss some of that. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. No matter who you are. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. I want to begin with a prayer. Um, and I put the words on the screen. God, bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts. God, bless us with righteous anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people on the planet so that we might work for justice, freedom, and peace. God, bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we might turn their pain into joy. And God, bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in the world, so that we might do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice, kindness, and good news to all people, especially the poor. Isn't that good? That, uh, that prayer is from a, a book that found me recently by a man named James uh, Walton. I'm going to quote him a little bit later in this class. He has a book called The, the Twelve Lives That Hold America Captive. And um, he says that this is an adaptation of a prayer that he got from St. Francis, but I had never seen it before. And I think it's one that kind of worth keeping um, in front of you. So um, today was my idea for us to teach like this, but the, um, the title comes from Holly, and um, we wanted to do, Anna wanted to do that piece about in the bleak midwinter, so that, that is done. Um, last night, I said, it was the longest night. It, uh, there's a service that we do here. <laughs> in the liturgy that is a service during this festive season to have a liturgy for people who have suffered injustice or loss or something, which doesn't get a chance to get acknowledged at this time of year very often. People who are grieving the loss of a partner or a parent or a child or a dream. And so we have that, that, uh, that liturgy as a space to honor that. And I, and I thought that 
that we would do a class um, today about darkness. And um, because we can't see in the dark. And unfortunately, we are in a culture where there are a lot of people that can't see that it is dark. And so we kind of kid our way through um, some of our cultural difficulties by uh, being Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Forever. No. Well, just till you say something I can disagree with. Okay. Um, I'm disappointed you didn't wear your light-up shoes. You know, I I didn't know that you were serious about I'm that. I was serious. You wanted. I wear my fun shoes and some shiny makeup. It's all right. Um, so one of the things, you know, as Bill says, we can't see in the dark, but we also can't see what the dark has to teach us until we get proximate to it, until we really go into it. Um, one of mine and Josh's favorite thinkers is Brian Stevenson. He began the um, Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, which works with death row inmates, mostly young black men, and started the memorial and museum around that initiative. And he says, you've got to get proximate to the issue if you want to understand it, if you want to transform it. So one of the things I think about in the darkness is we, we're kind of, we grope along, right? We feel our way in the darkness and we often need a hand to hold or something to hold on to when we're in that state. One of um, my favorite authors, Alice Walker, wrote The Color Purple. Uh, that book came out in the 80s, I think, and it's set in the early 1900s, so in maybe that first generation of freed blacks who still weren't living completely free, but slavery was over. I'll say that. And this conversation is between Suge and Celie, two of the main characters in the book, and Celie is going through an incredible time of doubt about God and who God is and who she is because she can't see herself in the myth that she's learned about God. So she's in that proverbial dark night of the soul. And Suge is Celie's, see if you can keep this straight, Celie's husband's mistress. And Suge and Celie then start a relationship because Celie is forced to take care of Suge in her illness. And the two women bond together in the wake of this abusive husband. So they have a conversation, and it's written in dialect. I'm not going to try to appropriate it, but I'm going to read it as it is written. And as Celie comes of age, she's really tired of this old white man God and doesn't seem to be able to see herself in this. So she weeps out loud to Suge and says, and Suge replies in saying, here's the, here's the thing, says Suge, the thing I believe. God is inside you and inside everybody else. You come into the world with God, but only them that search for it inside find it. And sometimes it just manifests itself even if you're not looking or don't know what you're looking for. Trouble do it for most folks, I think. Sorrow, Lord, feeling like shit. It, I asked? Yeah, it. God ain't a he or a she, but a it. But what do it look like, I asked. Don't look like nothing, she say. It ain't a picture show. It ain't something you can look apart from and, any, and anything else, including yourself. I believe God is everything, say Suge, everything that is or ever was or ever will be. And when you can feel that, 
and be happy to feel that. You've found it. Shug, a beautiful something, let me tell you. She frowned a little, look out across the yard, lean back in her chair, look like a big rose. She say, my first step from the old white man was the trees, then air, then birds, then other people. But one day when I was sitting quiet and feeling like a motherless child, which I was, it comes to me, that feeling of being part of everything, not separate at all. I knew that if I cut a tree, my arm would bleed. And I laughed and I cried and I ran all around the house. I knew just what it was. In fact, when it happens, you can't miss it. So that God is in everything and everyone. That is the title of that um, letter that happens between um, Celie to her other relatives. And the question that I imagine around that dialogue is, are we able, as the prayer says, to be foolish enough that we think we can create a world where everyone is allowed to see themselves in God, where children are ubiquitously free, or where people are free to experience themselves as they are? When we think about the darkness, it's, we, are we familiar with um, Conrad's theory of the, the, the hero's journey, the literary device that is you know, Luke Skywalker is the epic kind of hero who gets the call, goes into the activity, finds a mentor, and then bottoms out in this dark night of the soul. What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Ends up he has to fight and kill his father, <laughs> right? Which really is this example of the alter ego or his shadow. And this, the hero's journey bottoms out in this dark cave. And it requires us to be totally alone in the dark cave. No one gets out of that alone, right? We, have, we, ha we need help in those moments of darkness. And yet, I think you've said this before, how do you say it? It's, it's a completely solo journey, but we can't do it alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you said that, it reminded me that one of the great metaphors that I've gotten from Jim Finley um, is um, an invitation by the sacred to come into the dark cave. Yeah. And, and um, Finley imagines a conversation that goes on between the ego and God, mm. um, or, or God's representative, which in the Christian tradition would be Jesus, about, um, you know, I've been with you this far, but now I want you to go into the cave by yourself. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you can't take anything with you. Right. You have to go by yourself. And, and I was not, until last night, when I was thinking about this again and added some slides that mm -hmm. you didn't know about. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, my sitting right here is the result of my having been afraid of the dark when I was a child. And, and knowing that, because my brother made fun of me, and it was a scary, awful time. And I knew that other people were not afraid of the dark. And I was curious about what did they know that I didn't know? Mm -hmm. What did they have that I didn't have? And that's put me on the path to do all the reading in psychology and all the reading in, in, in religion. And I've thought about that the, the, the gift that is in the wounding mm -hmm. that we all receive, grow, everybody, and, and um, the, the moment that we begin to see that, 
we are blind, we're not blind. Mm -hmm. Now, it may not last that long. But you know in your own spiritual practice, when you try to pay attention to being present, you can stay present about three seconds. <laughs> and then you, My friend who's a psychiatrist says, you just have to listen 30% of the time. I really? Like, I don't know, David, if I want to go to you. <laughs> Only 30% yeah. of the time? That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I had a buddy, uh, still have a buddy who lives in California, and yeah. one Sunday night we were having dinner with them, and um, he said, we need to have dinner early because I'm, I'm, I could start work in the morning at 7 o'clock. And so we got with him very early on Sunday evening, and as I was, we were leaving, I said to him, Don, you start listening to people at 7 o'clock in the morning? He said, no, 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 no. I start seeing people at 7. I only start listening at 10. <laughs> First three hours, I'm still waking First up. First three hours, yeah, like that. Right, right. Yeah. So this book, I love this author, Dave Eggers. He has an entire editorial project that he works with young uh, kids who really are in vulnerable populations in San Francisco. But he wrote, he wrote a book called What is the What? And it's really about, it's a bit fictionalized, but a narrative of a true story of one of the Sudanese lost boys who during the great civil war in Sudan had to, many of the young boys had to, or young kids had to escape on their own. Their families were murdered. They were left alone in villages where they didn't know whether they going, were going to be attacked or not. So what they did is by night, they escaped. And what the way that they talked about, he talked about is they would form a long line holding hands like this in the dark and just feel their way. This is not dark like Houston, Texas dark. This is not city lights dark. This is like after Hurricane Ike dark when we didn't have, I didn't have, our neighborhood didn't have electricity for three weeks. This is like, you can't see a thing dark. So they'd walk through the wilderness like this, hand and hand and hand and hand, and sometimes a boy would disappear because a lion would be hunting. And they would have to then take the hand and keep walking. They couldn't stop. They couldn't mourn this little boy. They just had to keep walking in the dark and find their way to the next village or the next refugee camp. You know, some of them ended up in America in cities that were refuges for them. Many of them ended up here in Houston, actually. But this is, you know, this is what it meant for them to walk in the dark, to hold hands in the dark. I think about this night leading up to Jesus' birth, which we're about to mark on Wednesday. And this night was also totally dark. There, were not, there was not electricity then. There was maybe a flame that they had. And, but what we, if we know the story, we know that Mary and Joseph were escaping. They were refugees. They were escaping the, the threat of death the threat of their child, their coming child, being murdered. And you can probably fill in all the blanks a lot better than I can with actual verses, but they, this, this really dark night was what, when I think of the Christmas story as a metaphor, what also brought in the brightest light. So the dark, to me, if I'm rethinking about how to imagine what it means to be in darkness, it can also be a period of great transformation and creativity. And can 
kind of the deeper we go into the darkness, the more we realize that it has something to offer us. But if we stay kind of on the edges and don't go all the way in, we don't realize what it has to offer us. So if we, if we have time and get to it today, yeah. I'm going to do a story from a Jesus tradition. But mm-hmm. um, it, it's so helpful to read this story of the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, as the metaphor that it is. Mm-hmm. And if you take the two very different birth narratives that we have and try to make some sense out of them, which is very difficult to do because they're so very different. Uh, Not only were Mary and Joseph refugees at the birth of Jesus, but after the birth of Jesus, according to the story, because of the threat of Herod, they went to Egypt. Right. And so they were refugees in Egypt. Right. And uh, if you can be compassionate, if you can feel with that what it would be like to be a new mother, a new father, and have to immediately live in another country Mm -hmm. where you didn't know anybody, didn't know the customs, probably didn't have anything, uh, so that Mary and Joseph would be totally dependent on neighbors Mm -hmm. for food and care and for work and for all of that. And then after uh, three years, according to one of the versions of the story, when they came back, they went to a different village, Mm -hmm. not to their home. And so they had to start all over with new neighbors and, and all of that. So the beginning of the story is these people have to be related to in ways that welcome the stranger. Yes. And so Jesus' ministry was a lot about being inclusive about that very right. thing. Welcoming the stranger. Yeah. This beautiful little verse was handed to me. I did a um, workshop recently with a friend who's an artist, and she did a sort of contemplative art-making workshop for the beginning of Advent. And the the passage she handed us, um, in addition to an icon of the Virgin Mary, to sort of work from, to be inspired from, was this. The power that governs all dwelt in a small womb. While dwelling there, he was holding the reins of the universe. This, again, this bright light from darkness, we are all born in, from darkness, the womb is dark, and we come into a world of light. If, if we're using it as metaphor, some, of course, are not born sighted, but we come from the darkness into the lightness. And I love that idea that in the, the child is holding the, the reins of the universe. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to, to say something about what, what I call the the wonderful paradoxical complexity in which we have been doing this work for the last couple of years uh, after we got through with the Gospel of Thomas. Did mm-hmm. you know I taught on the Gospel of Thomas? Yeah, like Maybe for like a two weeks, was it? Yeah, yeah, a couple of weeks I did that. I thought you were generous last Sunday when you said it was a year. Yeah, that's that. so that just reminded me, someone asked, what was it that you said? Uh, that Bill taught from the Gospel of Thomas. It was that which you have within you. If you bring forth that which is yes. within you, what What's you bring forth you? will save yes. you. We'll if you do not bring forth that which is within yes. you, what you fail to bring forth will destroy you. Was that it? Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Is yeah. that what someone asked me about today? I can't find you now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's probably my one of that my favorite, favorite passages from yeah. the Gospel of Thomas, yeah. 
which has 114 mm -hmm. sayings in it. I think you handed me like six out of your eight books on the Gospel of Thomas. You must be really done with it. <laughs> well, you I take think these. I, I could go back and do it again, I but I don't think was, anybody yeah. here would show up for that. Well, you and I can sit in a dark cave and do it. How about that? Do it. It's <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to do about the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah. But um, the, the wonderful complexity, I'm going to do part of this, and then Holly's going to do some more, and then I'll come back and do the other side of it. Wonderful paradoxical complexity in which we've been doing this work for the last couple of years. Um, I've spent years in here trying to do uh, really solid biblical and Jesus teachings about what can we really know about the Jesus of history and how can we really understand the documents from which these things come? And if we're not going to fall into the fundamentalist trap of taking the Bible literally, how do we look at these documents, the context in which they were created, the audience that they were originally intended for, and then get some relevance out of that for what these teachings have to do for us right now in this moment? I think that's really important work to do. And, and we'll probably continue to do some of that because I've got this commitment to religious and spiritual literacy. The risk of that work is that we can fall into the illusion of thinking that we know God. And we don't. So I, I call this... Um, the, this Part of the, the, the illusion is that we, we have worked to put God into our story. That makes sense? And, and uh, that's important that we, that we understand all of this stuff. But um, the story that we put God into is what we've not been aware of. And the story that we people here put God into is the story of white American folk religion. There's not a one of us who didn't inherit a religious structure. If you grew up in the United States of America, you got affected by what I'm calling white American folk religion. We all did. Particularly if you grew up in the, in, in the South, if you're a Southern mm -hmm. Baptist which I understand some of you are. By the way, that, that term comes from the, the work of, of James, uh, James Walton. Um, I have this cartoon, which I love. Jesus is saying, the difference between me and you is you use Scripture to determine what love means, and I use love to determine what Scripture means. <laughs> Those are different approaches, mm -hmm. really different mm -hmm. uh, uh, approaches. So um, where we are learning, and one of the reasons that, that Holly is sitting here, where we are learning about sacred mystery may be informed by our metaphorical, mythical interpretations of the biblical story, but that's not where it starts now. Where we're learning what we're learning about sacred mystery is from physics. When, the when our understanding of the physical universe changes, 
everything, everything else it, 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 that's built on top of that, language, math, science, everything changes on top of that. So that our understanding of the Bible changes mm -hmm. when our understanding of physics changes. And, and sad is to say that organized religion is about 400 years late in the chain, in the, in the chain of chains that come, right? The King James Version of the Bible was published in 1611. And there's still people who think that it is literally God's word. We're about 400 years out of sync with that. Right? So that's the first part of the complexity, is that we have to work at understanding what the story is and get it into us. But uh, really, our task is to put ourselves into God's story. Mm -hmm. That's the first part of the paradox. That's it. What, th this is an aside, but this morning, I have no idea what prompted him to ask me this. My middle son asked me, Mommy, is it true that two planes flew into buildings? This, and it just made me think as you're talking about this, I, you know, dismantling fundamentalism and dismantling, uh, putting God into our story, which you've been working on for almost 20 years now, at, since 9-11. And my son, who's only nine years old, wasn't alive during this time, I, I, he asked me, why did two planes fly into a building? Which prompted a whole explanation about- Why did that come up today? I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, this child is like, very perceptive. I, I, do you, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but it prompted a morning conversation about fundamentalism and trying to offer a balanced perspective of, you know, I'm not a nationalist, so I'm not going to say that it was wholly weighted on one side or the other, but how do you offer a balanced perspective of, well, this is how someone saw it and this is how another person saw it, so that you are giving an answer to your child about one of the worst things we've ever been through in the last hundred years. So, yeah, that, that was and dark. If you, if, you read yeah. The, if you read the newspaper, the debate is right on the front pages of, of the papers yesterday. I haven't looked at the papers today, but there is this big controversy because the, one of the publications of Evangelical Christianity, Christianity Today, which is not a publication that is representative of the majority of evangelical Christians, it probably speaks for a small percentage of those, the editor of that paper, of that evangelical group, came out um, with some pretty strong political statements about the current administration. And <coughs> boy, that has stirred up a firestorm among evangelical Christians. Yeah who have equated what's going on in American politics with the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's just happening. And, and, and it's, just, it's just as solid as it can be in, quote, evangelical Christianity, that there's been a, a melding of our current political pos position of many people and evangelical Christianity, which is as far away from Jesus as you could possibly mm -hmm. get. I mean, that really is an example of putting God into our story, all right? And, and so we, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not wanting to be political. But I'm just saying that um, there are a lot of folks who are missing a boat on the message of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So this, we, I, in talking about this darkness this morning was kind of made me think about what else do we do in the dark? We, 
we sleep. This ancient Hindu text, the uh, Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, from the Upanishads, Hinduism is the oldest organized religion, says, in sleep a king is not a king, nor a pauper poor. No one is old or young, male or female, educated or ignorant. So in other words, when we can't see, we don't, we don't categorize. When we're in the dark, we don't categorize. We're in some ways only trying to save our own lives, to get out safely, right? And in sleep, there's so much we do. We dream, we cry out. Sometimes we lie awake. <laughs> Sometimes someone else is keeping us awake. We reach for each other. <laughs> this. I think that was personal. Was it? Yeah. No, not, not at all. Uh, this, you know, I think about my, a child crying out in the night when, when somehow a mother or a father is, is stirred awake by, Mama, you know, just this barely audible cry, Mama, I'm scared. And in that moment, I have no other choice but to just hold my child. But that's, that's what's available, is just to hold him in the dark. So I think that's kind of the invitation of, of the darkness, that it, it is an opportunity to hold and to be held. And you know, to bring in my field, love <laughs> is cosmology. The, the universe was born of darkness. It goes back to that uh, verse that my friend handed me. And she, he held the reins of the universe in a small womb. The universe, as far as we know it, came from a complete and total darkness and then burst into light. And for millions of years, it was only light waves. It was only photon waves. And then those photons began to break apart, and they started to form galaxies. And they started to form stars. And they started to form universes. So it went from utter darkness to complete light to some separation between light and dark. And the, the similarities on this slide between the birth of a star on your left, and a human cell on your right. Both of those things begin from darkness. So I have once spoken in here that our origins are also in light, but I think it's more true that our origins are in both. We emerge from darkness into something called light. And the, in, in Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is my favorite version of the Bible, is very poetic. You have you read from that sometimes, yes. Mm -hmm. He in Genesis 1, 2, it says, First this, God created the heavens and earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. I was talking this morning in the car, I, don't, I also don't know how this came up. It is a, if, I wish I wrote down the conversations I had with my kids sometimes. That, that, those are where some of the greatest nuggets come. But we were talking about how um, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And when a caterpillar forms a cocoon to become a butterfly, there is nothing about the caterpillar that remains. It, it doesn't stay a caterpillar that grows wings. It becomes soup. Like it becomes a mushy, liquidy soup that if you were to cut open the chrysalis in the middle of the process, it would just ooze. There would be no indication of a, of a caterpillar. But somehow in that soup, in this, what did he say, brooded like a bird above the watery abyss, in that, in that inky blackness, 
the enzymes are there to create the butterfly. So the, the, the caterpillar is able to keep the enzymes intact to then grow into this winged creature. So it is a butterfly, becomes liquid, and then becomes, I'm sorry, it's a caterpillar, becomes liquid, and then becomes a butterfly. There's something, and again, darkness. This transformation, this creative transformation happens in total darkness. And it, it wouldn't happen without that. It wouldn't happen without that sort of being held in the dark. You know, um, did you read Richard Rohr this morning? I didn't, no. I was having conversations about 9-11 this morning. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it, it, it's about resurrection. Mm. And the butterfly is a symbol of resurrection. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I have this cartoon that um, has these two caterpillars. They're crawling along, and one is saying to the other, they see this butterfly flying above, and one says to the other, you'll never get me up in one of those. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> well, what Aurora is about today, and, and and this is another thing that sometimes startles me about myself, mm. but also startles me about a lot of other people around me, is that we claim to be followers of Jesus or Christian, whatever that means for people, mm -hmm. and yet we don't manifest a real strong faith yeah. in resurrection. Yeah. It happens every night. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but people are so frightened of the future or of, of death. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say, um, now, by the way, I, I just mentioned to you, I went to visit with Luis Fantini yesterday. Some of you will remember Maxine and Luis. Luis is very near death. And so I went to, to see him. Uh, and uh, we talked about this, this very thing, about dying. Mm -hmm. And he said he wanted to go. He was confident that he would, he said, I, I, I want to go be with Maxine. And I said, mm. that sounds like a good plan mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know you'll have a safe journey. There's nothing to be frightened about. Mm. There's nothing to fear. If you and I are really held in the heart of sacred mystery, there's nothing to be frightened of. And yet... There's nothing to be scared of. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the United States government might come to an end. The economy might fall. We might get cancer. We might get whatever. I mean, we're going to die anyway, right? Might as well go cheerfully. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's well, this is, you know, Carl Jung called this integrating the opposites. This is where we reach true individuation and what, what Jung would also say is, is transformation is integrating these opposites, mm -hmm. the light and the dark, um, the good and the bad, the friendly, the unfriendly, however you want to look at it, the child and the grown-up. How we integrate these opposites is really how we come into a transformed self. Um, in, the, the, in the 1800s, um, Wolfgang, Johann Wolfgang, uh, I know I say his last name wrong. German, anyone? I say Goethe because I'm Goethe. Texan. Goethe, yeah. Goethe. Yeah, but I'm Texan. <laughs> so it sounds horrible coming off my lips. He wrote The Theory of Colors, which is the, this lovely snippet of all the colors and his theory of, of contrast. And it's quite poetic, even if it's also a, a, a very philosophical and scientific work. He wrote, um, effects of light and darkness on the eye. The retina, after being acted upon by light or dark, is found to be in two different states which are entirely opposed to each other. If we keep the eyes open in a totally dark place, a certain sense of privation is experienced. 
The organ is abandoned to itself. It retires into itself. That stimulating and grateful contact is wanting by means of which it is connected with the external world and becomes part of the whole. If we pass from a totally dark place to one illuminated by the sun, we are dazzled. We perceive all objects clearer and better. Love that. <laughs> so we need the dark to see in the light and vice versa. So I want to do the other side of that, yeah. but we got these other, other slides. I, I, I want to show you something that uh, a Methodist church put on its um, lawn for its Advent dim, uh, display this year. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the total number of children separated from their families at the border since July 2017 is now up to 5,400, according to the American Civil Liberties Union. It's difficult to track the 1,556 children who were separated in the first year of the policy because the government had an inadequate tracking system. In that year alone, five were under a year old, 26 were one year old, 40 were two, 76 were three, and 60 were four. Goes back to our idea of you know, Jesus's family came this way as refugees. And one of the things I, we were talking about is we, <laughs> Yeah, is that we sometimes can trick ourselves into thinking that racialized violence or oppression isn't as bad as, as they say it is. And I, I think it's probably worse than mm. we think it is. And one of the things I think we have to work through or grapple with as a community is how, as our history, and by our, I mean white folks' history with racialized violence. And how do we grapple with that together? How do we hold hands through that? and kind of understand that that history has, has brought us a lot of despair as a people, and then collectively work through that, collectively work our way through the dark so that we may, so that we may be transformed. Okay, I have a, a, I want to do the other part of the yeah. complex, yeah. paradoxical, beautiful complexity. Um, We've been so gifted, I mean, anybody in this room is so blessed, so, so blessed to be able to do this work with the leisure that we have. And um, as I said, the, fir the first part of our work is probably to try to understand the biblical, historical stuff, I call it. We work mistakenly, but essentially to put God into our story by a real is to get ourselves into God's story. Now, I want to tell you the other side of that because it is paradoxical. It is, it is something that, that um, is ambivalent. We are not meant to live in fear. We're meant to live life boldly and beautifully and, and bravely. But the culture in which we live is one that lives in a, in a spirit of fear. I mean, our whole everything that seems to be motivated by this, this engine of fear. And... Um, Spiritual work is training us not to be afraid. Fear not is the most frequent mm -hmm. phrase in the Jewish Christian collection of Scripture. Somebody said 365 times fear not is said. That's enough for one every day. Mm -hmm. 
in, in the year. So the, one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples is don't be afraid. It's one of the things that's part of the Christmas story. The angels came and said, fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. You know, don't, don't be afraid. They said it to Mary also. Yes. I would be terrified if someone told me you are going to give birth to the Lord. So the, 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 the early followers of Jesus told the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the evening, his disciples went down. By the way, this comes from Peterson too. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a, a liturgist one time, somebody who's really uh, high in liturgy, where I was doing a homily, say to me um, before the service began, you're not going to read from Peterson, are you? <laughs> and I said, not now. <laughs> and, <laughs> Oops. And he said, I think that, you know, the great biblical language is lost when you go to these other translations. If, if, if Peterson had uh, been with the Holy Spirit when he announced to Mary, Hail Mary, it would have been, Hey Mary, hi! But that's not the way it is. Anyway. In the evening, his disciples went down to the sea, got in the boat, and headed across the water to Capernaum. It had grown quite dark. Got it? And, and the disciples, and Jesus had not yet returned. A huge wind blew up, churning the sea. They were maybe three or four miles out when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, quite near the boat. They were scared, senseless. But he reassured them, it's me, it's all right, don't be afraid. So they took him on board, and in no time they reached land, the exact spot where they were headed. This is a great story. Mm -hmm. And be clear, it is just a story. It didn't literally happen. I may be going to hell for saying that. (laughs) You're not Southern Baptist anymore. (laughs) The lesson in this story is that the fear of danger can point us in the direction of sacred mystery if we let it. Now, for you biblical scholars, or those of you who question what I just said, the Jews took this story from the Psalms. I'm sure you knew that anyway. It comes from Psalm 107. They went down, I'll read it to you. Those who went out to the sea in ships and were caught in a great storm, who should give thanks to God for God's unfailing love because God stilled the storm. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. As I said, I bet you knew that already. That's the way the Jews worked. These followers of Jesus, this Jewish mystic, they went back after his death, after the new community had formed, They went back into the synagogue, resumed their worship. They did what they had done with what we now have as the birth stories, the Easter stories, with all of it. And and they looked in the Jewish scripture and they began to tell these stories. That's the most liberating thing a seminary professor ever taught me. Jesus taught in parables. His followers taught in parables about Jesus. And they told this parable about Jesus. And I'm telling it today because if we're going to work out our religious stuff in the Christian tradition, we have to do what Christmas is all about. Mm -hmm. We have to invite Jesus into our storm-tossed boats. Mm -hmm. Get it? 
we, like Mary, have to create a space where this energy can be born. And we have to have faith that this is a representation of sacred mystery gifted to us to give us the light that we can use to find our way in the dark. Mm -hmm. It's a great story. The, 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 the Gospels are full of these kinds of parables that, the, that these early people who were living in not under the threat of but with the daily reminder of their fragility in the Roman Empire that gave them the strength and courage to stick together and to keep going. And because of them, we're here today. I think I'll shut up. <laughs> we do get frightened, yeah. but um, there's nothing to be afraid of. I think it's interesting that, that, that darkness is also used as a torture device, right? That, that sensory deprivation is, is one of the ways that in certain prisons, mm -hmm. people are tortured. Yeah. Um, but how we come out of it is is through sorry is through you know this kind of empathy compassion love how do we come out of places of darkness and i think you know you pointed out it's all relational this it is all relational and and it's all also tied into having a daily spiritual practice mm. <laughs> <We're Because done. laughs> and, and, seriously seriously yeah. I, I know i harp on this uh, yeah. all the time but i'm not teaching stuff for you to believe I'm teaching stuff for you to do. Mm -hmm. And you can't do it. We can't do it. I can't do it unless there's a foundation that I can know I'm building on that calls me back to some sense of compassion. Mm -hmm. So the prayer that, that Terry offered last week, or close with, said that she does every day, this prayer, may, may I be filled with loving kindness and compassion, may, may I be well, may I be peaceful and ease. This prayer is one that we offer, first of all, for ourselves, and then for people that we love, and then for people that are acquaintances of ours, and then for people that we have a hard time with. For you, that might be Nancy Pelosi, it might be Mitch McConnell, it, it, whoever that might be, but call them to, to, name, to mind by name. Because if your heart closes to anybody, it's closed. And we have to do that work to, you know, peace, love, joy, patience, 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 and humility to, to, to practice this. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I think that we should let them go at yeah, 11 o'clock. It's almost 11.01. So people yeah. might want to go, and if you have not done it, Dr. Jeff McDonald gives a great sermon. Yeah. today so uh, go enjoy the fourth Sunday in Advent no matter uh, who you are no matter where you are in your journey you're welcome here and remember that you carry precious cargo so watch your step no class next Sunday but I'll see you Christmas Eve here Merry Christmas Merry Christmas yeah. thank you